Paul the Apostle was a man on a mission. For example, listen to these words he wrote while under persecution for the faith he was arrested. And this is what he was able to write. He says there in the book of Philippians, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Obviously, he was committed to the mission that Christ had given him as an apostle of Jesus Christ to lay the foundation of Christ's church. But you know, something that may often elude us is all of the opposition he faced during his mission. Right? We've been going through the book of Romans, and I think sometimes it oftentimes eludes us. The degree of opposition that he faced to see this mission through. By the time Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, the letter we've been studying, Paul had already suffered intensely for the gospel's sake. He writes in 2 Corinthians, which was most likely written before the book of Romans, he writes that he endured already at that time imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death, he says, whippings from his fellow Jews, stonings, persecutions from the Gentiles, shipwrecks, and on and on and on. And we know from history that he was even killed for the sake of the gospel. As a Christian, I find his perseverance so encouraging as we know that he finished his race of faith. He was faithful to Christ and Christ's call on his life. But a question for us today, we ask is, how did he have such commitment and faithfulness to Christ? How do you have such commitment and faithfulness to Christ and Christ's mission for his life? In our passage today, we have some of Paul's reflections on his own life and ministry as an apostle. And we see some main motivations of his ministry. And in doing so, right, as we see some of these main motivations of his ministry, we aim to find motivation for our own mission as Christians. Please join with me in turning to the book of Romans, chapter 15. And uh, the bulletin says that we're going to go all the way up to 33, but actually we're going to go up to verse 21. So Romans 15, verses 14 to 21. If you're sitting next to somebody who doesn't, uh, might not be familiar with the Bible, you just help them get there. Romans chapter 15, verses 14 to 21. If you're joining us for the first time, Romans is a book that was written, or as we've already noted, by Paul the Apostle. And this book of Romans was a letter to the Roman Christians written around the mid to late 50s A.D. And he wrote seeking to encourage the Roman Christians in their faith as well as to enlist their support in his mission to take the gospel to Spain, to places that it had not yet gone. He had never been to the church at Rome, though he certainly knew people at that church. So here he writes explaining what the true gospel or the good news really is, what the good news of Jesus Christ is. And as he seeks their support, he wants them to know exactly what they should be supporting as fellow Christians. He wants them to know what exactly they should be supporting as fellow Christians. In the first section, that is chapters 1 to 11, he writes explaining what the gospel is and that through Jesus and his cross work, salvation is for all who call upon his name. And then in chapters 12 to 16, the second half of the book of Romans, Paul draws out some practical application 
for the church that flows from the gospel, from chapters 1 to 11. And there's a special emphasis on love, how Christians are to love one another. Well, friends, in our passage this morning, Paul heads towards wrapping up his letter. And he explains why he wrote the things he did in the first place. That's there in, uh, look there in verse 15, right? He says, this is why I have written to you very boldly in certain things. He also explains why, why it has taken him so long to actually get there. You can see that in verse 22. And then in verse 30, he just speaks as a father figure does. He speaks to these churches, trying to uh, enlist their support in his mission on the way to Spain. Now, some of these things we leave for next time, but uh, some of these things, obviously, we look at today. And again, as we see some main motivations for Paul's ministry, we aim to be motivated in our own. So we're going to look at Paul's motivation for his ministry, and then we're going to apply it to our own lives, seeking to be motivated in our own mission that Christ has given us. Uh, I'll go ahead and read uh, chapter 15, verses 14 to 21. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power and signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has already has. Let me read verse 20 again. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now again, we have already noted Paul's commitment to his mission, but let's just back up a little bit and ask the question for point number one, what is what was Paul's mission? What was Paul's mission? Look there again at 14 to 16. And uh, I think it's pretty clear. He says there, I'll read that again. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. So here he's just encouraging the church, right? He's moving towards wrapping up his letter. He's encouraging the Roman Christians. He says, look, in Jesus Christ, given that you are believers, given you have the Holy Spirit, you are filled with all knowledge, you are able to instruct one another. But then he just simply explains why he had to write some things kind of boldly by way of reminder. Look there in 15. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. Look there in 16. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. So very clearly you see his mission is to be a minister of Jesus Christ. He writes here as a man on a mission. A mission specifically to bring the gospel to Gentiles. And we know that that's the case. You look there in verse 24. He says there, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. He's a minister of Jesus Christ in his writing and in his mission. And we see clearly that he's going to Spain and he hopes to visit 
uh, the Roman Christians there. He is a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. This, this word minister is a pretty generic term for one who performs a service, one who performs a service. But specifically, we know that this service was in the form of being an apostle. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Turn over to one one, and, and our section actually echoes uh, his opening verses quite a bit. You look there in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, he says. So in many ways, he's summarizing what he has already mentioned. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ, that is, one of those who were chosen of Christ, once again, to lay the foundation of the church through the preaching of the gospel. And we today, in the 21st century church, have been added to that foundation. The foundation is laid once by the apostles. And even today, Christ continues to add, he continues to build his church. Now, we've mentioned earlier how there are no capital A apostles anymore. That is not an office today. That is not an office of the church. So if, let's say if you listen to Christian television or you watch Christian television or you listen to Christian radio and you hear a man claiming to be an apostle, you hear a man claiming to be an apostle who has the words of God that are new to Scripture, that even go against Scripture, he should not be believed. There are no capital A apostles that receive new divine revelation that somehow should be added along to the Bible or that overturn the Bible. You should, be not, you should not be listening to those kinds of pastors as if, supposed pastors as if they are actually speaking or delivering new divine revelation to his church. The offices of the church, according to the New Testament, are elders or pastors, two different words to refer to the same office, as well as deacons, which means servants. So even though he uses this generic term minister, Paul writes as a recognized apostle of Christ Jesus. As his mission was to be an apostle or minister, what motivated him? Did you notice that, that there in the verse? What motivated him? He was motivated by grace. You look there, point two. This is point two. He was motivated by grace. He writes there, because of the grace given him by God to be a minister. It's this grace that compels him and that sends him and motivates him to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. I find it really interesting to be in Paul's mind right here at this point. It seems like he goes back to the grace of God, right? Let me tell you why I'm writing. I'm going to go back to the grace of God, not at the start of this missionary journey or his other missionary journeys. He speaks about God's grace in saving him, really. He speaks about God's grace in saving him. Now, you might wonder, okay, but that's not what it says, Jeremy. It doesn't talk about God's grace in saving him. It talks about God's grace given to him to be a minister. That's right, actually. That's right. But for Paul, his calling to be a minister came actually at the same time of his salvation, such that when you hear about Paul having received grace to be a minister, he, we should think salvation as well. If you're not familiar with who this Paul is, right, this guy who seeks to strengthen the churches, he's laying the foundation of Christ's church, well, he was not always like this. Before God saved him, he was a man on a mission to destroy the church of God. Acts chapter 8, Paul, then his name was Saul, Acts chapter 8 opens up with him basically presiding over a Christian execution. 
In chapter 8, verse 3, it says Saul was ravaging the church. Those are in quotations, right, from the Bible. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. But then, as Acts chapter 9 describes, as Saul is breathing threats and murder against Jesus' disciples, as he's going to Syria to persecute even more Christian, Christ appears to him, not for judgment, but for rescue. Not for damnation, but for deliverance. Christ saves him, opens his eyes, and brings him into the service of the Lord, making him, as Jesus says in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, Jesus himself is basically telling this guy that's going to minister to Paul, he says, look, I want you to tell him that he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. It was God's plan to save him and send him to the Gentiles. So in a real sense, not only was Paul motivated by God's grace to him, it was God's grace that motivated him. There's a slight difference, you know, play on words. I'm trying to communicate. He's motivated as he's looking back to his salvation, right? But in reality, it's God's grace that claims him and then sends him. He is saved by the sovereign will of God and then sent on his mission. Jesus knows exactly who he is. Galatians, as Paul's reflecting on his own testimony, he says, Christ set me apart. God set me apart even before I was born for this great grand mission to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He was a hater of Christians. And then he goes on and becomes a minister and an evangelist to see other people brought to Christ and saved. So God's grace claimed him. It moved him and sent him. Paul is a unique case, right? So when you hear of this grace given him to be a minister, don't think mission only. Don't think mission only. Think also the grace given in salvation as Christ gave Paul a new heart. Now, as we apply this to our lives, it's certainly true that we are to be motivated by gratefulness to God for his grace in our lives, right? We think about what moves us on our own Christian mission. Certainly, we are to look back and be motivated by God's grace in our own lives. And we know that God's grace sends us on mission. So right there, we, we are tracking with Paul so far. But for now, before we get to those things about how it tracks with us immediately, it's important to know that our call is not the same as Paul's. Our call is not the same as Paul's. Again, Paul had a very unique mission as an apostle. So you think about from Genesis to Revelation, right? You think about Genesis to Revelation, the scope of salvation history, as some people call it. Um, here, you know, this thing about like Jesus, right? Jesus, he, he arrives on earth and he dies and he's resurrected and ascends to heaven once. He gets up from the dead once and then he pours out his spirit once and for all in the new age. He sends out his apostles once to lay the foundation of the church, of which there is only one. And Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles in God's grand scheme of salvation history. He's incredibly unique. He had a very specific mission, right? Jesus appeared to him himself and said, this is what you're going to do as you lay the foundation of the church. He did this as he preached the very words of God and even as he wrote the Christian community, even Peter himself says in 2 Peter chapter, or in 2 Peter, he says that uh, all scripture was written as men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So as Paul is writing scripture, He's being carried along by the Holy Spirit. Paul was fulfilling this role given him by Jesus himself to be an apostle to the Gentiles, and it's a, it's a mission, a specific mission 
that we ourselves don't exactly have. But at the same time, okay, so now applying it to us, the church does indeed have a mission. The church does indeed have a mission. And it is often called the Great Commission. So turn over in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. We're going to the book of Matthew. And we see the church of Jesus Christ's mission. And it also parallels Paul's in the sense that it is a mission to all peoples, including the Gentiles. Uh, but Christ hasn't appeared to us. We receive this mission, this commission via the scriptures. He's about to go up into heaven and he charges his disciples and by implication the church that the disciples are going to build, lay the foundation for. He says there in verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We know that he is charging his church to do this by implication because he's saying, I'm going to give you my presence to the very end of the age. And his church now continues to minister all the way until the end of the age. And we have Christ, we go out in Christ's authority. And we have his very presence. This is the great commission. So local churches are to seek the fame of Christ's name to the ends of the earth, heralding the invitation that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Obviously, we are to make disciples of all nations. And the grace that motivated Paul in his unique mission is nevertheless the same grace that motivates us in our mission today. Just as Paul was captivated by the grace of God given him in Jesus Christ, so we today as local churches around the world are to be captivated by the grace of God given us in Christ Jesus. So, friends, the grace that we have received in Christ is the grace that is to be heralded. The grace that we have received in Christ is the grace that is to be heralded to the ends of the earth. As God himself is on the move to build for himself a a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. I mean, friends, you realize that so much of Romans is about God bringing a diverse people into his one church body in local churches. And he does this by his grace in saving all who repent of their sins, not just the repentant from a certain ethnic background or certain culture, not just grace and salvation reserved to those who appear to be moral on the outside. No, friends, it is grace given to sinners. Just as, quote, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so God says, all who call upon my name will be saved. Paul certainly had to clarify to the folks in Rome, as some were opposed to this type of inclusive grace that saves all sinners who repent of their sins and believe. For example, there were some self-righteous, non-Christian Jews who knew from the Old Testament that they possessed the law of God, right? They were God's people in the Old Testament, the circumcision. They thought of themselves as the holy ones separated from all the other nations, but who scoffed at the idea that God would save the sinners over there, those non-Jews, those Gentiles. 
Now, how does Paul respond? Look there in verse 16 again. Look at the language that he uses there to describe his ministry. It's very just this Jewish language that's steeped in the Old Testament. And what is interesting is that those who were opposed to such grace of God to save all sinners who repent of their sins, they probably would have been ticked off. But the Christian Jew who had ears to hear, they would have heard verse 16 and rejoiced that God was on the move, right? So you look there at verse 16. He is a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified in the Holy Spirit. He refers to his service here as a priestly service. Of course, he's not making animal sacrifices, but his, his service is in preaching the one and only sacrifice able to take away the sins of the world. Christ's sacrifice on the cross for all who repent and believe. And then what is it that Paul gets the privilege to bring to God? It's not the Gentiles offering as if he's taking the animals from the Gentiles and giving them to God. It is the Gentiles themselves. The Gentiles, he, he gets the opportunity to bring the first fruits of the Gentiles to his holy God. As they too, even from those among the Gentiles, his people have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That is set aside for God's holy use. That's who Paul gets to bring to God. Believing Gentiles who are offering up their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Their lives, the Gentiles' lives, are the very offering. This was his mission. To hold out the grace of God to the nations and see that all of God's people, all those who call upon his name and repent of their sins, are given their place at the table, reserved for them by the very king. And he was committed to the mission of bringing this good news of Jesus Christ to the nations, having been a recipient of God's grace himself. Okay, so as we seek to apply this once again, even though Paul is explaining why he wrote his letter, right? he's explaining why he wrote so much about Jews and Gentiles coming together in the people of God, we, we, we were studying that over and over and over again. He's explaining why it is. He also explains his motivation for his mission. If you're visiting with us and know yourself not to be a Christian, I hope you know that the gospel we share is something that we Christians have received. The grace we share about in Jesus Christ is the grace we ourselves have received. Now, of course, sometimes we might not share it so carefully in terms of like um, knowing exactly how to speak about the very things that we receive. I mean, we all don't exactly know how to speak so clearly about the things we love. Sometimes even still we fumble, about all, fumble over our words in relation to all sorts of things. Right? Sometimes we as Christians might share it in sort of a, uh, a bit of an uninformed, quick off-the-hip sort of way. But it is nevertheless something that we as Christians have received. There are some who think that Christianity is something that people just sign up for. It's a set of beliefs that people just simply try out and see if it works. And then these Christians who are, have adopted this new way of living and this new set of beliefs, they are to go around and tell other people about this new set of beliefs that they've so happened to sign up for at that particular, particular time. It's almost like sharing the new benefits of a credit card or something. But that is, that's not the way we're supposed to share things. We as Christians are to share about God's grace and the gospel having been saved by God himself. Just we know that the Bible says that we too were once sinners, that we had rebelled against our maker. 
that we were under the condemnation for our sin, for having committed treason against the king. We, king, we had faced the death penalty at one time. We were under eternal judgment and were headed to hell. We were under the power and the tyranny of sin, Romans says, but God saved us. And he did so in sending Jesus Christ, his eternal son, to take on flesh, to live that life that we could never live and to die the death that we should have. And on the cross, Jesus bore the wrath and the punishment that we ourselves deserved. And so we as Christians now, we know the freedom that is in Jesus Christ. We know the peace that we can have with God. That's what Romans chapter 5 says. We know the peace with God. His love has been poured out into our hearts. We know what it means to be justified, right? To be justified even though we still sin, to be, st- to be standing before the righteous God and have this righteous declaration of justified all over us. We know what it is like to be forgiven, to know eternal life with Jesus Christ. We are those who have received grace, and so we share it with you. And we do this right here every single Sunday. So, friends, if you do not know this grace, you can know this grace. If you turn from your sins and believe, just as Christ promises that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, repent of your sins, and you will be saved. If you are a Christian... We are reminded of the same. It is God's intention that the grace we share is the grace we know. And knowing God's grace certainly makes evangelism easier, doesn't it? Right? Does knowing God's grace more and more make evangelism easier for you? When we live in the reality that we have been freely, graciously, mercifully pardoned from the death penalty that we deserved, And then we have been freed, not to live for ourselves, but to live for Jesus and to know the love of God in Christ. Well, at that point in time, as we are living by faith right there in that moment again and again and again, evangelism is so much less like a task to be done, right? A box to be checked off every single day, you know, in our faithfulness to evangelism. But instead, it becomes something as basic to our existence as breathing, as one author put put it. It becomes less about what am I supposed to say in this moment? And it becomes, let me introduce you to our creator who loves sinners. Let me introduce you to my savior, Christ Jesus the Lord. And I'll tell you all about what he has done for me and sinners. He promises everyone now that everybody who repents of their sins and believes on him will in fact be saved. It really just becomes great news that we get to share. The greatest news in the universe. That is what gospel means, the good news. So Christian, if you want motivation to the mission, if you want to be motivated in your mission, settle your soul in the gospel of grace every single morning. Settle your soul in the gospel of grace every single morning. We speak about this oftentimes in language like preaching the gospel to yourself. It's it's the same thing that we're aiming at right here. Settle your soul in the gospel of grace every single morning. And do this in such a way where your mind and heart actually comes to grasp God's truth, that God has loved you in Christ, Christian. Where your mind and heart comes to grasp that you were running headlong into hell, that you had rebelled against your creator, and that you faced judgment. But instead of letting you run headlong into condemnation, he sent Christ to grab you and to arrest you there in your sin. 
so that Jesus Christ would be seen and heard and his word would be heeded so that we might trust again in his righteous life, in his death on the cross, to be provided the righteousness we need to be with God. Settle your hearts in the fact that Christ has pardoned you from judgment, that he's declared you righteous in his sight where you now know his love and peace. And now that same loving Christ wants you to go out and tell others about him, inviting, calling, even commanding others to be reconciled with the Savior. That's one way that we can fight to remember the grace of God given us in Jesus. What we are to share is what we have received and experienced. This is Paul's mind as well. Galatians 2.20 says that Christ loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, if you struggle to live in this joy, which I assume is all of us, if you struggle to live in this joy, let me encourage you to fight to hold God's word close to your heart and mind. Particularly passages that speak of what God has done in saving sinners in Jesus Christ, right? I mean, when you wake up in the, in the morning, if you're like me, a million things flood your mind. Especially if something bad happened to you like yesterday, last night, literally something bad happened or the day before, and you wake up time and time again just fighting to hold on. Friends, you can let those thoughts and those feelings in your schedule overwhelm you, all the things that you need to do that might not necessarily have anything in terms of lasting value into eternity. You can think about those things, but it's an entirely different thing to wake up fighting holding to hold God's word close to your heart about all that he has given you in Jesus Christ. There are so many wonderful passages, in, even in the book of Romans, that help us remind us of the grace of God given in Jesus. Romans 3, think of 21 to 25. Think about how God offered up his son as a propitiation for our sins to remove the wrath of God and satisfy the wrath of God, even though he had... We didn't have any rights to any of that, just rights to be condemned. You think about Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So friends, if you find yourself sluggish in spirit, just sort of meandering through life or however you might describe this, if you find that so many worldly things and concerns are crowding and calling out for your heart's affections, friends, let me encourage you to go to the word of God that teaches us the gospel of grace. Remind yourself of the things of greatest consequence. Let me just think about all the things that are of so little eternal consequence that we tend to stress over, me included. But then we have the opportunity to go to the word of God to see the things of greatest consequence that have everything to do with eternal salvation, the things of greatest value. And we can hide them in our heart that we might not sin against him but always live for him and for his glory. Let me encourage you to just memorize scripture. If you want to talk to memorizing scripture, you can talk to the elders, you can talk to Tyler. He's one of the brothers here who have, who's memorized a, a good amount of scripture. And uh, we can try and help you encourage how to hide God's word in your heart so that we might live for him. So to recap here on this application, settle your soul in the gospel of grace every single morning and you will have motivation for mission. Be mindful of the fact that we have indeed received grace and so we get the pleasure of sharing that same grace. This brings us to the subject of point number two. Actually, no, we're on point number three. When we read the passage here, did you notice how eagerly Paul wants the glory to go to God? He wants the glory to go to God. 
the glory in the mission. Point number three, the glory in the mission. We saw what his mission was. Point number two, we saw that he was motivated for gra- by grace. That's point number two. And then now we come to point number three, the glory in the mission. He was motivated by glory, certainly not his own. After all, his salvation and mission was given to him by the grace of God. So naturally, Paul strives to see that all glory goes to God. Look there in verse 17. I'll read 17 and 21. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power and signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul says that in his life, it's all about what God has done. Not about what he's done on his own. Verse 18, right? I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. What Christ has done through him is his boast. That's why he can say that he's proud of his work of God, right? There is sinful pride where one could boast in himself as if God is not the creator, sustainer of the universe and that we somehow live apart from God's will. That kind of pride raises ourselves or praises ourselves for what we think we accomplish on our own. That's not what Paul's doing here. In his work as an apostle, he highlights or boasts in what God has done through him. Oh, we've already seen that Paul's salvation was of the grace of God. We saw, too, that Paul's mission was of the grace of God. But here in 18 and 19, we see that his scope of ministry and the things that he did was of the grace of God. It's all about what Christ has accomplished, as it says there in verse 17. And in verse 18, clearly Paul said that he did many things in word and deed, right? This is stuff that Christ had accomplished through him. He's talking about word and deed, what he had done. He preached the gospel and even worked these miracles. That was about what Christ had accomplished, right? This word that he preached was the word about the risen Savior. And the miracles verified to the fact, of, to the fact that Jesus Christ himself, the greatest miracle worker, the Lord, had sent out Paul the apostle. It verified him as one who officially testifies to the Lord. It verified that his word should be obeyed. And whatever he did with a word and deed was all about what Christ had accomplished through the power of God. Look there, through the Holy Spirit, it says. And his ministry, he had a tremendous scope. You look there in verse 19, he recounts that he had proclaimed the gospel in all these different areas. So if you guys are looking at a map, so you got the Mediterranean Sea. He says, I preached, the gospel was preached. I preached it in this general area from Jerusalem. And then just imagine a fan fanning out from the Mediterranean, moving westward. I preached it here in Jerusalem all the way to modern-day Albania, right? And he's, he's going to go on and say, and I want to go to Rome, and I want to go to Spain. So just imagine this great fan that he's saying, the gospel's been preached from here to there. And he says, it's already been preached to there, which is why I want to go and preach it somewhere where Christ has not been named, namely to Spain. That's what he's saying there. He preached the word there. Many people were saved. Churches were planted. And in it all, it's all about what Christ had accomplished. And so the glory 
goes to God. Now he can say, look there in verse 23, he says, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, like what does he mean there when he says that he no longer has room for work there in this region? Certainly there's someone there who needs to know about Jesus. Well, we could put that underneath his, his larger sort of plan and uh, his mission, right? He would go to the major cities and then send out his disciples to go and preach and plant other churches. So he's just saying here that he's been to these major cities and the gospel has been preached generally speaking there in those areas. That's what he means. He wants to go to someplace new where the gospel had not yet been preached. And in it all, of course, the glory goes to God. Well, not only was he motivated to see God get the glory, right? He's motivated by glory. To be more specific, and this is the next point. I'm not even going to tell you the next point because I know my points are messed up in terms of how I've been talking about them. So the next point is he was motivated to see the nations give glory to God. He's motivated to see the nations give glory to God. He was desirous that this would happen. As we've just mentioned, this was his strategy. And he knew that this was his calling. This was God's plan, in fact, for the nations. You can look there again. Go back to 1510. It says, he's just quoting from the Old Testament, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. He's talking about the Gentiles being gathered together in the people of God. And thus he desires to push farther west to uncharted ground, so to speak, and territory to preach the gospel. Verse 20, look there. He was a true pioneer Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ had already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. He was a pioneer missionary to unreached peoples, and not because of earthly reasons of, let's say, wanting to be original. Some of you guys are wanting to be OG and start some sort of company. Right? That's not what he's aiming at here. He's not wanting to swim against the stream. He's not pioneering for pioneering's sake. It's because he knew it was God's plan for the nations to come to Christ. In an effort to get the gospel to the nations, he did not want to build on someone else's foundation. I think that means, thinking back to that strategy, he said, look, if there's already a church there in that major city, great, praise God, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go to uncharted territory. Of course, he wanted to help the church at Rome. That's why he's seeking to go there. That's why he's writing the letter as well. But he saw Rome, it seems, as a base for his Spanish mission. But why go to a place where Christ had not been named? Verse 21. It's so fascinating to think again about the mind of Paul here. He goes back to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah, which was written 700 years before Jesus had even showed up on the scene, 700 years before Paul was even on the scene. He says, I go to these places because it has been written, just as it has been written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Now, this is an amazing passage. He's drawing from Isaiah chapter 52. Let's go ahead and go back there. Isaiah chapter 52. If you open up your Bible, you'll probably hit Isaiah, maybe Psalms or Proverbs. It goes Psalms, Proverbs, and then Isaiah. Help, help your neighbor if they uh, are new to the Bible. Here, Paul quotes from this very famous sort of poetic song about the servant of God, the Messiah, fulfilled in Jesus, actually, as we come to see as God reveals more and more. 
But here Paul draws from this wonderful servant song, which is all about Jesus. And you know 53 so well, I think. You look there at verse 4 of 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Uh, You look there at verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. He talks about penal substitution right there, that Christ bears the wrath that we deserved, right? But look what else it speaks about there in verse 15 of chapter 52. He speaks that this servant will sprinkle many nations. And then, of course, as he goes on and speaks about his death, we know that he's talking about sprinkled. The nations are sprinkled with the very servant's blood. 52.15, this passage that Paul quotes is about how the nations will be sprinkled with the servant's blood and those who were not told about him previously will indeed see. And those who have not heard will understand as God's church goes out to the nations, as Paul the apostle goes out to the Gentiles. So with God's plan to save some among all nations, so Paul went about taking the gospel to all nations in places where Christ had not yet been named. Now, in terms of application, again, what Paul writes here, he's offering an explanation for why he was unable to visit Rome, right? He is, in, in one way, on one level, simply saying, look, I'm going here and there. I'm taking the gospel to places that have not been named. Verse 22, this is the reason why I have been so often hindered from coming to you. Very simple reason for why he's writing. He's writing to let them know, this is why it's taking me so long to get to you guys. But I love you. I'm coming there. But nevertheless, we can learn about Paul. We can learn lessons from Paul about his mode of operation and apply those lessons to our lives. I think here we should appreciate missionaries and cultivate our own heart for evangelism and missions. That's a lesson that we can learn and apply to our lives. Appreciate missionaries and cultivate our own heart for evangelism and missions. Did you know that even today there are many people who choose to give their lives, whether, you know, short season of life or their entire lives, to bringing the gospel to unreached peoples or least reached peoples? That's some language that Christians today use. These are people groups where Christ has not been named among them, where there is no established church. Traditionally, these people who give their lives to crossing cultural boundaries are called missionaries. They cross these cultural boundaries with the gospel. They are on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many of you know that in the upcoming months, as we apply this to our own lives, we have an opportunity to go and support some of these missionaries as they give their lives to the spread of the gospel among the least reached. We've been asked to provide children's ministry to some children while their parents and adults attend this conference, this theology conference in this other country. And I am super excited for this opportunity, right? Taking Paul's life and lessons and applying it to our own life and situation. Well, friends, I'm super excited for this opportunity. I'm excited for those who go. In the upcoming days here, the elders have backed this trip officially. And in the upcoming days, we'll be offering this application process. And then we'll we'll be filtering out exactly uh, who we are looking for, the types of people that we're looking for to be teaching, right? It's a teaching trip. Um, If this was like a a trip where we were reaching out to people at the skate park, right? We would be also looking for a certain filter. Uh, You wouldn't want to choose me because I don't even know how to skateboard, really. But anyways, we'll be coming out with this uh, application. We'll be filtering through different candidates. We'll be thinking about how many people exactly we can actually go. But I'm excited for those who go. We get the very opportunity to support missionaries. 
It is not just providing children's ministry support. It is not just teaching children. It's so much more than that. Just think about the people that we would get to support. These folks are under great stress already. We know, me and Melanie know, we have friends who have been recently kicked out of this country that they are from. And so imagine being under threat or actually being kicked out of this country if you are a missionary. There is fear for the ones that they're shepherding, right? Missionaries typically have a a fatherly, very motherly heart. They want to see people come to Christ, and then all of a sudden they have to leave. Well, what if there is no established church in that particular area that they're in? What do they do? You can imagine the stress that a father or mother feels for for these Christians in the faith, sons and daughters in the faith. There's also stress regarding their personal lives. Just think about the personal upheaval. If you were kicked out and you were told you are going to get deported now, you would have to leave your family, leave your friends, leave your way of living, leave your homes, and on and on and on. To go further, thinking about the folks that we get to support, from what I understand, we also have the opportunity to serve some of the indigenous pastors of this country. From the country that they are from, there is a very real threat of being arrested and having their families torn apart simply for being Christians. They are under this threat even now. And news reports are coming out with this very fact all the time. And as some of us travel to this different country, not from where they're from, but we're going to go to this other country, it's a safer country, we get the privilege of contributing, Lord willing, to their brief time of maybe solace and rest where they can be fed and recharged in a safe environment, right? So we're not going to be under threat. Neither will they be, Lord willing. But they get to come to this area to be fed, trained, rested, in order that they would enter back into that threat, having been recharged, while we come back to the land of the free where we know a freedom that has been incredibly rare throughout all of human history. This is a way that we practically get to partner with these brothers and sisters in Christ who are under the stress and this potential suffering, just as Hebrews chapter 13, 3 says, remember those in prison as if you were bound with them and those who are mistreated as if you were suffering with them. That should make us all excited as a church. It's never just about this thing that we are doing. It's about something huge that God himself is doing. But it's not only for those who go that I'm excited for. It's also for those who stay. The elders are excited about the church who stays. Not just for the team that goes, right? Just think about who sends out the team. It is the church that sends out the team. It's the church that backs the team members as the church is one in spirit with the team who backs the team in prayer support, who will have the opportunity as well to um, back the team in financial support, back the church in financial support. So you'll have opportunities to give over and above, let's say, you know, regular giving, as we'll be raising trips for this, uh, raising funds for this trip. And we're going to be doing this within the congregation and outside of the congregation. You'll have opportunities as well to give of your time, not just to fill a slot while someone is gone, so as things can move smoothly again, remember the big picture. It's so that those people over there would be served and find for that brief little moment there, those few days, rest and solace, recharge as they enter back into their mission to reach the least reached.
Church, this is an exciting time for our church. It's an exciting time in this life of our little church. I realize that we have been praying, I have been praying and thinking about opportunities for us to get more practically involved in overseas missions since I've been here. We've been involved in, in uh, some things in, in an awesome way, right? So we supported for a number of years uh, one of my friends who graduated from seminary and now he is uh, planting churches in northern India in a very Muslim and Hindu area of northern India. So we supported him through seminary, not all of it, but what we could. Of course, we, we support as well in giving to our denomination. Now, our denomination isn't perfect, just like all denominations are not perfect. But what I love about them is that a small church like us gets to partner with all of these other churches, supposedly 40,000 churches, to fund missionaries. And so if some of you guys one day might be feeling this inclination to go, well, naturally, one of the organizations that we're going to encourage you to think about is going through the Southern Baptist Convention, where you wouldn't have to necessarily be raising your support, or spending you know six months raising your support, six months on the field. No, you just you, you work as a, you receive a salary if you go with this organization in a certain capacity, and that's, that's a wonderful thing to do, and something that you should strongly consider if you're feeling this inclination to go. Right? These are good things, but I want us to get more involved. Years ago. Oscar and I tracked down opportunities. We reached out to missions organizations. Right? But the opportunities weren't exactly what I thought would be good for our church as a whole. And then in the years that followed, we also made different efforts. I've sat down with other brothers in our networks from different countries, uh, talking to them about how we might be able to partner with them to support underground churches and other missionaries or support those that they want to send to seminary. Right? There is mutual interest but nothing really materialized. And then even now, we are just planning to go on these exploratory trips to visit Dubai, you know, to talk with some brothers there. Jason has some folks that we want to talk to. I got some folks we want to talk to. We're also going to go to Kazakhstan to talk to Dennis Boris, who has preached here, a, a Russian brother, uh, married to a, one from a least-reached people's group. She's a Kazakh. And then in the midst of this planning, all of a sudden, I get a knock on the door, so to speak. And one of the brothers that I had talked to previously, actually two brothers that I had talked to, um, you know, basically come knocking on the door asking us for help to do this trip. And so that one conversation that I had years ago with that brother now is materializing out of nowhere. Of course, it is by the sovereignty of God. And I'm encouraged about this partnership itself. We have so much in common. Our churches share the same understanding of the sovereignty of God and salvation. Our churches share the same understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We share the same conviction about the centrality and importance of the local church in missions. That sort of the aim for evangelism doesn't just stop at new people believing in Jesus, but it sort of arcs back into the planting of local churches, which then go on and plant other local churches. Not all missionaries care about the local church, unfortunately, but these brothers do. Not only that, though, but we are in the same networks, meaning that Chances are I'll have other opportunities for ongoing relationships with their representatives, as I have had already in the last 12 months, to get an update about what's going on in this country. Friends, again, this is an exciting time in the life of our little church that we get to play this part by God's sovereignty to support them in this unique way. And once again, you know, who knows? Maybe from this experience, the Lord might move in your hearts, whether you were one of the ones going or you were one of the ones staying and sending. 
Maybe the Lord would move in your own heart to minister, to, to reach out to the least reach. It doesn't have to be those overseas, by the way. It's those here, which is why, you know, we desire, desire to see a church planted here in this very area. One mile up the street, supposedly, is the, well, I should say, one mile up the street, there is the largest Buddhist temple by student count, supposedly, by student count. Now, by acreage, I hear that there's one up in San Jose, but by student count where they're training um, future teachers and Buddhist teachers, for example, is one mile right up the street. They believe that salvation can be achieved by looking internally, which is very anti-gospel. That's, we're doomed if that's the answer. We're going to look to ourselves. We're the ones who created the problem. Anybody who adds or looks inside of themselves for salvation or who thinks salvation that we could add to our salvation through our own human goodness or moral deeds or our good works is doomed because we know that righteousness comes from outside of ourselves. But maybe you will be moved to move overseas. Maybe you'll have this inclination to minister to the least reached peoples. Friends, if you find yourself with that burden, especially in the months coming up to going on this trip or even after, let me encourage you to definitely speak to the elders about it and let the elders help shepherd you as we are shepherds. There are some people who just declare, I'm going to missions now, and they just sort of take off real fast. That actually can be dangerous to the church. And having Jason and myself ministered overseas, we know that there are people who declare themselves to be fit for the task, but who end up going over and actually hurting the church. So let me encourage you to let the elders help shepherd you in those desires. Now, we might say, I think what you're feeling is indigestion. That's a great desire. But, you know, hold off for like five to ten years. And then let's revisit it. Let's just work on like general maturity stuff. And that's a legitimate thing. It's kind of like all dudes who, let's say, you know, if you want to go into the ministry, you might say, I want to be a pastor. Um, That might be a good desire, but it might be inappropriate for that time. Let's just delay and work on some general Christian maturity things. We might say, great, let's do it. Let's figure out how to send you out and send you out now with us with, so that you can link arms with a great safe group over there so that you yourself will still be pastored, etc., etc. And then, uh, you know, we'll try and do our best to see that happen. So, friends, if you find yourselves with those desires, use your pastors as a resource, as it is we whom God has put here to watch over your souls and your spiritual well-being. As Paul was eager to see the nations give glory to God and Jesus Christ, so we, as we send out this team in the upcoming months, we are eager to do the same. It's not just the missionaries who are to have this desire. We are not just helping them who alone desire to see that the nations give glory to God, right? We don't just go to help the children, though in and of of itself is really useful. We have the opportunity to play our part as we link arms with others, and together we aim to see Christ named among the least reached. As we conclude here, Paul's commitment in his mission, motivation in his mission, came because of God's grace given to him. And we know that the grace he was to share is the grace he had already received. He was motivated by this grace he was also motivated to see god get the glory even among the nations eager to see that christ receive the glory that he alone deserves and all of his people all of his people among the nations would be singing his praises in whatever opportunities we have as first baptist church present or future 
It's all about the glory of God, what Christ can accomplish. It's God's grace in Christ that saves, God's grace that builds the church, and it's God's grace that empowers his church for mission. As Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, indeed, we thank you for your grace given us in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that where you could have put us as sinners, you could have put us forward for judgment. Yet, Lord, you put forward your Son to receive the judgment we deserved so that we might know eternal life and salvation, the very peace and love of God in Christ. Lord, we pray that we would be always, morning after morning, morning and evening, meditating on these facts. That we would be so mindful of the grace given us in Christ Jesus. Not only to be saved, but also to be sent. To go out, whether overseas or to our neighbors here in Southern California, to hold out a gospel of grace, the only grace that saves. Lord, we pray that indeed that we would be motivated by this grace and motivated to see you get the glory amongst all of your people. We know, Lord, that in the end there is a people who gather around your throne to worship you from all tongues, tribes, and nations. What a glorious day that will be. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us energy, that you would give us the strength of Christ, that we might not be distracted from so many worldly things, though important they may be, we pray, Lord, that we would always see what are the ultimate things, the things of greatest consequence. And so trust that wherever we are in this world, we are to be about spreading the gospel. We pray these things to the praise of your glory. Amen.